Hey, good morning, everybody. Sorry, I was just fiddling uh, around with my speaker here, trying to turn it on, but I hope everybody is doing well. I hope you all had a great week. And it really is such a blessing that I get to speak um, to you today on matters of the heart and matters of God. And so as we get started, I, um, I must say that I sometimes feel like a town crier, and I don't know if you guys know what a town crier is or what a town crier does, but just to refresh your memory, in the old timey days, um, a town crier was someone who was paid to make public announcements in the streets or in the marketplaces of towns. And they usually started off their, um, their announcements by saying, hear ye, hear ye. And I don't know if anybody remembers seeing movies like that, but they'd say, hear ye, hear ye. And they'd, they try to make, get everybody's attention and try to make the announcement. Or sometimes I feel like the paper boy. Um, I think in Sherlock Holmes, I think The Shadow of Games or something like that. It's one of my favorite movies and I still can't remember the name of the movie. But one of the open, in, in the opening scene, they have a paper boy and he's, he's saying, extra, extra, read all about it a bombing in Strasbourg, whatever. Um, but anyways, it's like he's, again, trying to get everybody's attention, trying to get everybody to see the news and trying to get everybody to buy into it. And all the while, though, the people are just kind of walking off. They're hurrying around him, taking care of their own business. They're walking away wrapped up in their own thoughts or some of them just too tired to think of anything else but getting home to their beds. And I know that many of you are sitting here today and you might be here together with us in your body, but I'm just wondering how many of how many of us have our minds just kind of wandering someplace else, just taking care of other businesses while your body has the excuse to say, well, I'm 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 supposed to stay here, I'm supposed to rest here, I'm supposed to do this. And so, you know, I have no other choice. My mind can then be doing something else that it needs to get done. And so I hope and I pray that today, that in seeing you will perceive and in hearing you will understand the message that God's message will be landing on good and ready soul today. And so what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to take the time to just go into a time of prayer, to pray for yourself and that you just, I don't know, quieten your hearts and you recognize all of those thoughts that are racing around, all of those thoughts that are distracting you, all the things that are around you that you might be going, okay, in my checklist of my silent checklist of things to do today, these are the things that I need to get done after service is done or, um, and just tell them to God and give them to God. And it's not about ignoring them or it's not about sweeping them under the rug, but it's really about giving this time to God and saying, here, God, I give these to you, knowing that in your timing, these things will be taken care of. Or if you're feeling any kind of tiredness, to pray for yourself and to even pray for the screens beside you, uh, the, the dark screens, you might not know who is beside you. At least you can know their names. But to pray for the people um, on either side of you or even beneath you or above you. Um, to pray that they will perceive and they will see and understand the message for today and that your hearts are ready as good soul. So I'll give you a moment to pray in silent time of prayer, and then I will close this, close this time in prayer. And so gracious, heavenly, loving Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, who is our counselor, God, we give these this time up to you. And we say, speak to us now, anoint us with your presence and give us ears to hear and eyes to see, a heart to understand that it won't just, again, be head knowledge, but that it will really become rooted in our hearts. The things that you are trying to remind us of today, of your presence, of your path, of your promise. God, we look to you in all things and we lean on you for strength, for you are the perfect, good and living God. God, we give this time to you. Speak to us now and help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, 
So today I'd like to start us off with an incredible scripture passage. Uh, I don't know if I shared this with you. I might've just kind of briefly like one liner touched upon this, but this scripture passage and this Exodus story has been actually something that I've been meditating on and reflecting on for over a year now, just really recognizing fully how much this story is my story, that the Israelite story is my story, that I was rescued out of slavery, that I am walking currently in the wilderness, and that it is a treacherous place, but to keep my eyes continually on God. And, and today, our final sermon is about the, the promise that he's given us. And so the scripture passage that I'd like to open us up with is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 to 10. Um, I will be reading from the NIV, but because I really do like the way that the message says it, I'm going to be reading from the message as well. And I love this being online because then I get to have two screens going. And so on one, I have my script and on the other of the scripture passage. Um, but here we go. So it's Deuteronomy chapter seven, uh, verses seven to 10, reading from the NIV first. And it goes like this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out from them with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not slow to repay their, to their face those who hate him. And so now to read it in, in the message version and just to really hear the words of God, the words that come from his scripture, from what he is trying to say to you about how much you're loved and how faithful he is to the promises and to the covenants that he makes to us. And so verse, starting at verse seven, it says this, God wasn't attracted to you and didn't choose you because you were big and important. And just really take this passage to heart. God wasn't attracted to you and didn't choose you because you were big and important. The fact is there was almost nothing you did. He did it out of sheer love, keeping the promise he made to your ancestors. God stepped in and mightily bought you back out of that world of slavery, freed you from the iron grip of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know this, God, your God, is God indeed, a God who you can depend on. He keeps his covenants of loyal love with those who love him and observe his commandments for a thousand generations. But he also pays back those who hate him, pays them with the wages of death. He isn't slow to pay them off. Those who hate him, he pays right on time. This is the word of God, and truly thanks be to God. Okay, and so um, we are on, as Pastor Jen had shared with us today, our last part of our, or the last sermon of our three-part mini-sermon series, and we're going through a sermon series called, and I've said this over and over again, and just kind of feeling like a broken record, and I'm wondering how many of you are just kind of like, oh my gosh, she's saying this again, but we're going through a sermon series that is titled, Help My Unbelief, which is a plea from a father whose child is sick and he confesses to Jesus, I do believe, help my unbelief. And the father was having what I've been referring to for the last several or a couple of weeks, um, a help my unbelief moment or a crisis of unbelief moment. And so I was kind of like 
just kind of debating back and forth going on between myself. Should I say this part or should I not say this part? But I finally decided that I'm going to say this part. And we're going to pause here for a moment because I think it's important for us to believe or to see that there are actually a couple more help my unbelief moments that I actually didn't mention during the service, uh, during the sermons the last couple of months. But I'm wondering if maybe you might find yourself to be in one of these other two help my unbelief moments. And so the first help my unbelief moment or crisis of belief moments that we've seen so far is um, the, the, the father. And I'm going to call his situation the hopeless dad circumstance. And so he cries out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And I think many of us are actually here. It's where you feel like you've tried everything possible to resolve your issue. You've pretty much given up and Jesus has become your last hope. And that is the hopeless dad. Um, and then we have what I like to call the helpless Israelites. And it is the Israelites who are um, slaves at this moment. They have a help my unbelief circumstance as slaves where they doubt that there's anyone to help them that nothing can, can, get, can get them out of the situation that they're in. They're stuck in a rut. They're fearful, doubting, oppressed, going through hardship. And so how many of you feel like you've ever been in a circumstance like this, the helpless Israelite? And again, I think I know I've been there before, and I might actually be able to say that I've been in all four situations, but um, I'll let you kind of judge for yourself where you have been or where you are. Um, the other two help my unbelief um, hearts out there are circumstances are one of them is called the which what I'd like to call is the self-reliant Israelite and Moses warns the Israelites against this in Deuteronomy chapter 8 12 to 14 and again in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 17 and 18 and so I'm going to read those two together because I think they it gives a slightly different perspective on that self-reliant Israelite situation okay of unbelief situation and so Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12 to 14, it says this, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so I'm wondering how many of you feel like that, the self-reliant Israelite, where life is good, life is good, or um, I'm going to read to you the Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 now. You may say to yourself, my power, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as, to, as it is today. And so this, this unbelief stems from the, a life is good kind of feeling. They're they are indifferent to God now. God is being relegated to the back pocket. And I've been thinking about this analogy. I keep on talking about the back pocket. And I realize that a lot of men, they put their wallets in their back pocket. So it's quite important. But for me, my back pocket is quite empty. And so to put things in my back pocket means that it really has no essential significance in my life. But um, God has been now relegated to our back pocket. And I think some of us, this is where we're at. Life is good. And so we just kind of, we're ignoring God right now. And we kind of think we've done everything on our own. And it's a kind of help my unbelief situation that some of us are in. And lastly, there is a full and complete unbelief. And this full and complete unbelief is demonstrated by the Egyptians. And I'm going to call this group of people the stubborn Egyptians. And many of us will probably not want to admit that we're the, this type of group of people, but I will, I will admit that at one point in my life, I was here too. 
Um, they, they have seen God perform incredible miracles, even the miracles that Pharaoh's magicians could not imitate. Um, and even Pharaoh's own people are saying, surely the finger of God is involved in this, but the Egyptians remain unmoved. They remain calloused, pride, uh, proud, stubborn, indifferent, complacent, hard-hearted. And I wonder how many of us are masquerading around as self-reliant Israelites or helpless Israelites or hopeless dads. And yet really we are the stubborn Egyptians. And so at this moment, I would, okay, and we're gonna go into a time of prayer because I really do think it's important for us to just even take the time to reflect on these four help my unbelief circumstances. One being the hopeless dad, two being the helpless Israelite, three being the self-reliant Israelite and four being the stubborn Egyptian. And to really think and reflect on where are you at right now? And to confess that and to pray, I do believe, help my unbelief, or confess, I don't believe, help my unbelief. And I'd like us to go into a time of prayer and for, to ask you to pray for yourself and to pray for those people around you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, this time that we are given is not nearly enough for some of us to actually reflect on where our heart condition is. And yet we ask, God, that you continue to nudge us, that you continue to awaken us to ourselves, that you continue to be the town crier or the paper boy that is shouting in our ears, hear ye, hear ye, extra, extra, to get our attention, to hear where you are at and where we are at, that we may repent and build a relationship with you. But we thank you, Heavenly Father, God, that you are so patient with us and that in spite of our unbelief, you continue to chase after us and invite us of a relationship with us and continue to be with us. God, you are such a good and perfect God. And we thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so moving on. I'm so glad that I got that off my chest. Um, and having said all of that, um, you know, I think I've been saying for the last several couple of weeks that really this sermon series is really just meant to be a reminder of things that you already know and things that have might have become wall art or blue bins in our lives. Um, and sometimes not only do I feel like the town crier, but sometimes I feel like a paper, uh, sometimes I feel like a paper boy, but sometimes I feel like an alarm clock. Um, and in university, I had a really great alarm clock. I was actually a coxie, um, part of the rowing team, not one of the rowers, but one of the person that sat at the front um, who gave the, who yelled out the directions and the mm, training was at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so that meant really early mornings. And so I had this really awesome alarm clock. It was really loud. It was a gift from a friend. And um, the alarm was a bugle sound, a bugle sound, like a really crazy loud bugle sound. And then a kid's voice telling me to wake up and that would play over and over again until I turned it off. Um, and sometimes I feel like that alarm clock just ringing to tell you to wake up, wake up. It's time to pay attention to the wall art that you've been ignoring or wake up uh, ringing as a reminder to tell you it's time to pay attention to the blue bin that's in the middle of your hallway and now to get up and do something about it. And so we're using the Exodus story as a backdrop to this sermon series. And in the Exodus story, we have been looking at three parts, of, three major parts of the Exodus story. One was the Israelites being freed from slavery. Two was the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. And the third one um, is the Israelites arriving in the promised land. But what we did was instead of taking it from the Israelites perspective, we turned it around and we we're taking it from God's perspective. And so God's presence in the Israelites live as they were facing oppression and slavery, God's path as the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness and God's promise as the Israelites arrive and enter into the promised land. And so in week one, in a sermon that was intentionally called 
Taste and see the Lord is good. We saw God's faithful, unwavering presence in the Israelite lives as God frees the Israelites from their slave masters. And the timing of this is so important. And I haven't said this before in the other sermons, but just reflecting on how important the timing of all this is before anything else happens, before God takes the Israelites. And I'm wondering if you'll be able to kind of keep up with me here, but before the God, before God takes the Israelites out into the wilderness, before God takes the Israelites out into the promised land, God makes sure that the Israelites witness and experience, they know who God is and that they witness and experience God's presence in their life. And God makes sure that the Israelites see and know that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with them, that God initiates a relationship with them, that he invites them and that God is holy and powerful I am. And he does all of these things. He makes sure that the Israelites see this and know this and understand this before he takes them anywhere else. Why is the why is this so important? Why is the timing so important? And I love this. I think it's orchestrated so perfectly. Um, the timing is perfect as always with God. God um, does this before all else. God introduces him first, himself first before anything else. So that in a time of need, in a time of help my unbelief moments, they have something to have confidence in. The Israelites have someone to rely on. And so listen up. This is important in the same way, seriously, everyone, just as he did for the Israelites, God wants us to know, God wants us to remember, God wants us to experience and to understand and to perceive his presence, that he is Emmanuel, that he initiates a relationship with us, that he invites us, and that he is the holy, powerful I am. Do you really know this, or is this just something you know in your head? And so that the rest, so that for the rest of our lives, as, he, as his loved and treasured sons and daughters, that whenever we face any kind of help my unbelief moments, we know we have someone that we can rely on. We have a firm foundation to stand on and we have God's power and strength with us. We can lean on him. We can put our hope in him. We can trust in him and have faith in him. And so week one just flows right into week two. And um, sometimes I feel like this sermon series is not really a sermon series, but rather one huge, gigantic sermon that was broken up into three parts. And so you're getting bits and pieces of this sermon um, at different times, but week one flows right into week two. And in week two, we talk about God's path. And if you may recall, the, the title of that sermon was called His Ways and Thoughts Are Higher. And we are reminded through the Bible that God's path is treacherous. And again, I just want us to pause here for a moment because I'm reminded of what Pastor Eddie had shared in the in-person service, which is that sometimes this part is so, such a hard pill to swallow, to hard something so hard to grasp because when we think that God has brought us here, we're kind of hoping that God would make it somewhat easier because it is something that he's calling us to. But time and time again, we see in the Bible, when we are called to follow God, it is most, not, it is most likely not calling us into an easier lifestyle. And so we see this. We absolutely see this throughout the Bible. Abraham is asked to leave his hometown. Noah experiences a flood in time in a time that water did not fall from the sky. David fights Goliath. Elijah is running for his life. Jonah is swallowed by a big fish. And Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, Apostle Paul says this, are they servants of Christ? I'm, I'm out of my mind to be talking like this. 
I am more. I've worked much harder, being in prison more frequently, being flogged more severely, being exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've gone, often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And, you know, this is coming from Apostle Paul, the greatest, uh, who wrote like mo half of, half of <laughs> the, the New Testament. And here he's just reminding us of how difficult his journey and his life has been. And it is such a good reminder for me as well, not to, um, to remember, to remember that God's path is treacherous. God's path is treacherous. And then, of course, we cannot forget God who, while praying the night before he was um, to be crucified, or the day that he was crucified, he was praying and he was sweating droplets of blood, and he prayed in Luke chapter 22, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Who hung on the cross, dying the most humiliating death as a criminal, and it wasn't even for his own sin, but it was for yours and mine, and he died for his enemies. Romans chapter 5, he um, writes this, and forever always reminded of this, God demonstrated his own love for us. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And I'm reminded uh, from a quote by Hudson Taylor, who is a well-known missionary in China. This quote, um, it says this, there are three stages to every work of God. First, first, <laughs> it is impossible. First, it is impossible. Uh, three stages to every work of God. First, it is impossible. Second, it is difficult. And third, it is done. And so God's path is treacherous. And in week two, we are reminded God's path is treacherous, filled with difficulties, whether or not it is the natural challenges of this broken world, or because we are fighting off enemies, whether it is enemies from outside or enemies within ourselves, we are fighting off enemies, or because we are being trained and disciplined. Although God's path is treacherous. We can lean on God's presence in our life, which we learned about in week one, be supported by God's power and strength, standing on the firm foundation of the knowledge that God is present in our lives, that we can confidently keep God in the center of our views, trusting in him, surrendering to him, and looking to him for the path rather than looking for our own path. This sermon series, Help My Unbelief, we're reminded that we can be confident in and trust in God's presence in our life so that when we face treacherous paths of our life, we will continue to keep our eyes on him and we will continue to look to him for direction that will lead us to the promise. And so this takes us to our message for today. And so what is God's promise? What is God's promise? And for the Israelites, the promise was that they were going to be taken to the promised land the promise that God made to Abraham. And we can read about this in Genesis chapter 12, verses four to one. And it reads this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And the same type of promise we can hear again reiterated um, as Moses, as God approaches Moses in the wilderness and it's taken from chapter Exodus chapter three, verses five to nine. And, and you can read that on your own time. It's Exodus chapter three, verses five to nine, but the same type of idea. But in that, um, when God approaches Moses in the burning bush, God actually tells him that he's going to take the Israelites to the land flowing with milk and honey. And so we see that God fulfills his promise. The Israelites, Abraham's descendants, were taken and given the promised land, the, the land of Canaan. And, but when we look at the Israelites' behavior, okay, so when we focus on the Israelites' behavior, we can see that the Israelites had a hard time trusting God. They complain the whole entire time there. They see God time and time again providing for them, but they're just like, um, I don't know, maybe insatiable, but they don't seem to quite understand that God is here for them, that God, all they have to do is just ask rather than whine and complain. And yet there's something about a a mistrust that they have of God. They're saying things like, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt and be slaves again. And you just kind of want to think that's absolutely the most ridiculous thing. I think the Israelites had a hard time believing that there was a promised land or believing that the promised land was going to be worth all of this traveling, all of this hardship. And in our help our unbelief moments, it is sometimes often hard for us to see the promise of God in the midst of the hardship. It is Sometimes often hard for us to believe that God will stay true to the promise. I think sometimes we even have a hard time understanding what the promise actually means to our life. And so why is it significant? And so our message for today is a simple one. And yet it is so important. Flowing from last week's message, which was God's ways are God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours. And I help our unbelief moments. We need to remember that God is faithful to his promise and those promises are better than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And so today's title is God is Faithful to His Promises. And I'm sure if you've noticed that each of the titles for each of the weeks, each of the sermons was based on a scripture passage. So in week one, Taste and See the Lord is Good was taken from Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. Last week, His ways and thoughts are higher than ours comes from Isaiah chapter 55 verses eight and nine. And today our sermon title is taken from Deuteronomy, our scripture passage from today, Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses nine, where it reminds us that God is faithful to keep his covenant and that we can depend on him. And I love that passage. I hope you um, like take the time to read it again after service or whatever, have circled it or highlighted it, but that somehow or so some way during the day or the week that you'll come back and you'll just relook at that passage passage. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses seven to 10. And so what are these promises that God is faithful to keep? And so I'm gonna tell you a fun story, a family fun story. Um, and it comes with this disclaimer, it comes with a disclaimer, don't try this at home, uh, but it has to do with, maybe it's a false, <laughs> maybe it's a false promise, but um, I was reading a book and in uh, this book in many Christian circles would be laughable. Um, but in this book, the author talks about having the favor of God being upon him. Uh, and although that there's a scripture passage that is similar to that, it is more like a prayer. It's found in Psalms 90, but it's more like a prayer than a promise. Uh, so you really do have to be careful how you read the scriptures and don't twist the words around. 
But um, for this one author, it became his mantra, like the favor of God is upon me, the favor of God is upon me. And in the book, he writes how when he goes to busy parking lots and he can't find a parking spot, he would often say to himself, the favor of God is upon me. And sure enough, a parking spot would then appear. And I'm not sure what prompted me to do this, but I tried it. And sure enough, in busy full parking lots, spaces would open up right in front of me or people would start flagging me down, letting me know that they're they're leaving and I can take their parking spot. And it came to a point that my whole family now is now in on it. And so when we arrive to a busy parking parking lot, my my kids will actually say, mommy, do your thing, mommy, do your thing. And uh, and now I kind of got sheepish at that, a little bit ashamed. And so I'll just kind of say it in my mind. But then still, still, sure enough, it would happen. But when they don't want to go shopping, it's come to a point where it has worked every single time that my kids now say, don't, they'll actually start chanting, don't do your magic, don't do your magic. And I can't explain it. And I'm not trying to promote some kind of hokey superstitious behavior with God. But all I know is that God can't be mocked. And I have come to think, now come to think of it, I don't think I ever tried to say that over my finances. So maybe I'll give that a try. But I found on the internet a list of 10 things that God would never promise. And I think it's important for us to recognize these things because I think deep down in our hearts, although we might tell our brains that this is not true, we know it's not true. I think deep down in our hearts, we actually want to believe that these things are true. But the first one is God never promised a trouble-free life. God never promised a trouble-free life. And we've learned about that in this sermon series where God's path is a treacherous. The second one is um, God never promised per personal success. The third one is God never promised a happily ever after here on earth. God never promised a husband or wife for life. God never promised a fulfilling ministry. God never promised the answers to your questions. God never promised wealth and prosperity. God never promised children who lead, who will follow the lead. God never promised all things will work out for the best. And God never promised to give us only what we can handle. And I wish there was something that I could teach you so that you can know the difference between a real promise and a fake counterfeit promise. Like how the bankers or the tellers are taught to know what the characteristics of a real dollar bill is so that every other bill that doesn't have those features is known to be counterfeit. And all I can say is the only way we can know is by actually knowing our Bibles. Um, at least for now, though, it is easier for you um, to find the promises that are in the Bible, easier for us, I guess, since all you need to do is just go onto the internet and search promises of God or download an app. But back in the day, <laughs> back in my day, uh, the only way was the old fashioned way, which was actually read the Bible, write out the promises and memorize it. And so I do have several favorites that I want to share with you. And I'm just wondering, what are your favorites? And maybe at the open house Sundays, you might want to be sharing those with the people that come to your house, um, to the people that you're sharing your time with. But um, here are several. I almost got a little bit carried away. I did have to trim it down a bit, but um, here's, here are several. Proverbs chapter three, verses five to six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Um, Matthew chapter six, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For your yoke is easy, 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And finally, okay, two more. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And Revelations 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so throughout the years, I've witnessed these things to be true. Throughout the years, I've experienced God to be faithful, fulfilling his promises. And so what are your favorite passages? What are your favorite promises? Um, and I think there's one particular promise that we are all familiar with. As people who attend church, whether you're a hopeless dad, a helpless Israelite, a self-reliant Israelite, or a stubborn Egyptian, maybe if you're not a stubborn Egyptian, but the passage is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his one and only son into the world to fulfill a promise that he made in the beginning. After Adam and Eve rebelled against God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin and death entered the world and separation existed now between God and man. And the curse was proclaimed over the snake, over Eve, and over Adam. In the curse was also a promise, which can be found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God promises that Eve will have a child, and that child being none other than Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Jesus crushed the head of the snake, Satan breaking the curse of sin and death, redeeming us and reconciling us back to God, that we can have the promise of eternal life. And God, who is faithful, so faithful to keep his promise, even to the point of causing pain to himself, for us, God fulfilled his promise. Um, one thing that I'd like to point out before we close here is something that we can put our hope in and something that we can help, that can help us and encourage us is that we can have eternal life now. And I know that sounds a little bit weird because I know many of us have come to believe that eternal life can only happen after we've passed away. But it is not something that we have to wait to get to um, have after we've died. John 17 verse three tells us, now this is eternal life. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you have sent. By knowing God, by knowing Jesus, by having a relationship with them, we can have eternal life here on earth. And eternal life um, means an everlasting peace, recognizing the mercy and the grace that we are sitting in, allowing God to fight our fights and to help us to be victorious in this life that we have now. And it is this God, this Jesus that we have to come to know. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six reminds us, and, you know, we've, we can see all sorts of descriptions of Jesus. Again, something that I mentioned in our sermon, our first sermon, the seven I am statements found in the gospel according to John. But Isaiah chapter nine then gives us another description of Jesus Christ. And it says this, he is our wonderful counselor. He is the one that will guide us and counsel us if we stop to listen to what he has to say. He is the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace that when we have this relationship with him, we have an everlasting father, somebody who will love us unconditionally, a prince of peace, some, a person that we can get peace from, and a wonderful guide and counselor, a mighty God who can fight for us. You can put your trust and your hope in this faithful God who is true to all of his promises, who died and defeated the sin for you. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, loved sons and daughters of the Almighty God. In this three-part mini-sermon series titled Help My Unbelief, it was a reminder to us all that during those moments of our lives, whether we are the hopeless father, the helpless Israelite, the self-reliant Israelite, or the stubborn Egyptian, hear ye, hear ye, this sermon series was to be a reminder so that in our unbelief, we can taste and see the Lord is good. We can be assured of and have the confidence in a God who is and where he is and in who he is, that he is God Emmanuel. He is with us. He is the God who initiates a relationship with us, meeting us where we are, even if it means to going to the far side of the wilderness. He is a God who invites us and he is the holy, powerful I am, powerfully defeating all other gods and giving victory to his people and we can lean on him for strength. Extra, extra, read all about it, hear all about it. This sermon series was to be a reminder that in our unbelief moments, we can recognize his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. As we journey in a life in this treacherous path as sojourners, as travelers, that we won't lose heart, but we will keep continue to keep our view on him, centered on him. And we will look to him, his pillar of fire and cloud, for the path and not to look for our own path. And then finally, wake up, wake up. This sermon series was to be a reminder so that in our unbelief moments, we remember God is a faithful God. He's a God who keeps his promises and we can trust in him and rely on him. He is not like those fleeting, fading things and um, material promises that we put our hope in in this world, but he is one that is everlasting. We can put our hope in him and have eternal life through him. Let us pray. Gracious, loving Father, God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that you are always present in our life. As we travel this journey, help us not to forget, but help us to always keep you in our sight. Help us to look to you for direction. But we thank you that you are such a good and faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.